A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. You're very welcome to Wednesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Midweek already. God bless the bank holidays. Not a bad day out there today. Long may it continue, but it won't. Anyway, we uh, live in hope. Lovely lineup for you this afternoon. Lots of people to chat to as usual. Music, our top five countdown. And I have Balmoral tickets to give away too. I'll tell you about that shortly. But my first guest today is a great friend of ours. He's well known to you if you're a Late Lunch listener too. And he does tremendous work because he is the co-founder of Development Perspectives. And he's here with me today to talk about a subject that actually, if you think about this, touches so many of our lives here in the northeast in Meath and Louth. Yes, the River Boyne. Bobby McCormick, you're so welcome back to the show. Great to be here, Jerry. Thanks for having me. Not at all. You're very welcome. And, And I was thinking about this and what you're going to do and what we're going to talk about. It really does, Bobby, from source to sea. Now, it's small at source, we know the boy where it rises, but as it comes into our bailiwick here and on, when you think of the amount of people who live within a, a short distance of the river, the big towns that are on the river, and the influence it has on our lives, it's massive. It's huge. I mean, it's such a treasure for this part of the world. And and I suppose that's what we're partially doing in, in doing the, the Boyne vision. We're going to be trying to uncover the stories that people have of the Boyne in their own history and to look into the future and, and try to foresee maybe what kind of vision of the Boyne do we want? Because we can have very different visions of the Boyne. And, and, and I think it's in all our interests to have a Boyne that, that is healthy and flourishing. Now, it's called the Boyne Vision and you are organising a series of workshops starting in Drogheda this week on to Navintrim, Kells and Virginia. The the aim, what is the aim? You've said there, you know, you've given us your thoughts about this. What ultimately, it's a public consultation, right? People will have their opportunity to have their say. Where does it go from there? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, maybe to just to go back in terms yes. of the history. So the Boyne Rivers Trust is an organisation that was set up. Uh, there's lots of rivers have trusts now around Ireland. And, and really they, with the support of Mead Leader Partnership uh, and the Local Authority Waters Programme, they, they put together an opportunity and ourselves and our colleagues in Dundalk IT in the Freshwater and Environmental Studies Centre, we came together and proposed, I suppose, a piece of work and we were successful in that tender and we're delighted to be doing the work on behalf of the, the Boyne River Trust. So that's important. So where it goes really, I suppose, is that what we'll do is do a comprehensive public consultation. We'll do a report and that then hopefully the Boyne River Trust will, will implement lots of local actions coming from that. Um, and of course, that will be partially dependent on the support that they might get from future funding. The river is under threat, there's no doubt about that. And there's so many people pull out of the river and put into the river things they shouldn't put in as well. So those combined things, along with the global warming, the bigger picture as well, the need for water, which is a basic human requirement, all those things are putting pressure on the river like never before. Is that fair to say? No, completely. And I mean, some of the things that we're going to look at as themes in the study you've already touched on, water quality, climate change. I mean, the river is under a huge amount of pressure, but it's also interesting when you look at other countries how, you know, the river can be parts and central to communities. And sadly, the Boyne isn't in many ways. I mean, you can go down. I just came from from the Boyne. Our office is right next door to it. There was no sign of, of much recreation happening. Very little tourism is based on the Boyne, whereas there could be so much to offer in terms of, you know, greenways, the long kind of promised greenway from Mornington right up to, to Navin could be possible. You could have far more kayaking, you could have far more swimming. But again, the water quality, you know, it's it's not great, Jerry. And like that's that's partially what we're looking at is that if we want to have more recreation, if we want to have you know people relishing the river far more, we need to address 
address, you know, some of the downsides and to look at what's happening there. You're so right. You go anywhere abroad on holiday and if they have any sort of a river or waterway, they're maximising the potential of it. You're not wrong in what you say. Why is that? Why do you think we're lagging behind or why the Boeing in particular, which we're talking about today, isn't, you know, up to speed to where it should be? I think it's a great question and it, I think it goes deep. Um, I think if, if you look at other examples, I mean, I'm lucky enough to be just back from Japan a couple of weeks ago and the water quality in the rivers in Tokyo, where the population is multiples of Ireland, never mind this area, is super. The water quality is phenomenal and they just don't accept lower standards. The, the water situation in Ireland is something that the EU has tried to pr- pressurise Ireland into improving, but we have a terrible record in water quality in Ireland. Um, and that's that comes from a range of, of factors and, and I suppose they're well documented and that's part of what the centre in Dundalk IT will do. They'll they'll make sure that there's evidence behind what it is we'll say in the report. But what we need to figure out is the, the public end of things, is to ask people, what do they think is causing this? What do they think could change? What what would the future look like if things were a little bit different? And, and as I said, going back to the earlier comment of realising that the Boyne is a treasure, but is that a shared vision or is that just an individual's view? Does a lot of it come back onto the likes of the local authorities, onto Irish Water now, with his char- which is charged with a huge part of looking after the water resources in this country, including the Boyne? And I think particularly from the point of view of, look, we've come a long way as regards sewage in the river. And even where we sit today, this huge town, that's going to be twice its size in the next decade or so. And that has to be catered for as well. What, you know, dealing with the, the sewage and effluent, etc. You know, that has been addressed to a point. The farming issue, you know, you know, into the river as well. There are industries, you know, who ha- in time have as well had access to the river. Is it down to government, central government, local government, Irish water? Who, who, where does the, the buck stop? I think it's a case that all of those stakeholders play a part. I mean, central government, local government, private sector, civil society, colleges, trade unions, the agricultural sector. We all need to, I think, realise a little bit more that, you know, the river in itself isn't only a resource. Sometimes we treat it as something that it's for human use and that we can use it whatever way we so wish. And so say all of us. I think that that model of using water has had its day. I think we need to kind of value the river far more holistically holistically realise that in and of itself, I mean, you're a keen angler, Jerry. like, you know, the, the stories of the salmon of knowledge, we can go back centuries, possibly millennia, to find that the river itself was always a treasure. But we humans, I'm referring to, have, have done a huge amount of damage to it and continue to. And, and I don't think that that can continue. I think an awful lot of human behaviour right across the country, not just around the Boyne Valley and its catchment, needs to change because that that kind of like valuable um, entity that is the river, you know, it may not be there in the way that we know it just into the future. You know, we, we need to not take things for granted. We need to really kind of reassess our values. And I think one of the dangers is blaming any stakeholder and saying oh, it must be only the local authority. Yes. yes, they do play a part. And in fairness, I would say that they have been, you know, not up to standard, you know, around their responsibilities in relation to water. But you know, I think that's the same right across the country. They can do more, they can do better, but so can I, so can we. And and I think it's it's that dual story of that individuals have responsibilities, but that so do structures and duty bearers. And we need to work together to make sure that the, the Boyne vision becomes a positive one rather than a negative one. Water is a precious resource. Now look, look at all the water that's fallen on us. I've been banging on about it here for the last number of months. My God, we have an abundance of it. But extraction from the Boyne and, and this area here, this greater drought area, depends on the Boyne for its water supply. That is the prime source of water and demand for water will increase. Is that one of the considerations that you, you'll be talking about? Yeah, I mean, one one of the, the pressures, I suppose, around any water source is around the, the, the kind of the development around it. So we, we need to look at, you know, planning a little bit more holistically and to talk about housing estates and to talk about when we're planning factories. I mean, even just as an example, data centres. Data centres have often been criticised for the amount of, of energy that's needed for them. But very little is known about the amount of water that's needed for them. Now, the, the plans for this region into the future are very worrying in terms of the data centre water use. Where does that water come from? And, and you know, is it to the, to the quality that it's needed to be? So 
oftentimes, you know, data centres can get, as I say, criticism for energy, but they also need to be looked on as like, have we got the water to service these things? And and why is it that these large multinationals have things like data centres and can just plug into that? It's almost an assumption that like, oh, well, it's there so you can use X amount of litres. I, I don't think that that's uh, any longer tenable. I think that like, as an example, Ireland is a signatory to the Sustainable Development Goals. Clean water and sanitation is one of the goals. And we're, we're falling sadly behind on that. Mm, and it's, it's just not the boy, unfortunately. It's right across the country as well as a, a national statistic in the context of Europe. Um, your Japanese example is something that's really now lodged with me in my head to think of the millions of people that live around water there and yet they have so clean it can be done this can be done look I mean you think of Tokyo metropolitan area 37 million people and you know right beside a couple of rivers and they are crystal clean you can look in and count fish you know you can see people swimming I mean that's that's a city of 37 million you know, Ireland's population is, I mean, do the maths on it. This is not brain surgery. This is not difficult to do. But we lack the willingness to address what really is a simple thing to do. And in fairness, I think Europe, other European countries are a little bit ahead of Ireland, but they're way behind other parts of the world. I, I think, honestly, we need to reassess our values um, in terms of, of, you know, how we look at the natural world and our place in it. Mm. And and to not just see it as something that's to be used for, for whatever is flavour of the day. I, I wrote down a few things which you come I was just trying to think myself, you know, about the river and, and what it is as an amenity. You mentioned the angling, of course, the salmon, the famous boinsal but lots of other species of fish that is their home that is their environment long before us humans were ever on this planet the boating aspect you mentioned they're not being developed the wildlife around the river you know I'm just and, and that those aspects alone mm. we've got to we've got to mind this yeah I mean the habitats and biodiversity along the Boyne Valley are, is very rich you know and, and again that's beginning to suffer and, and do we just accept that or do we begin to kind of take it head on and, and do something about it I mean like even if, as a tourist destination if the Boyne Valley you know puts the center of of the Boyne as it's as it's kind of like selling point you can imagine the amount of tourists from all over the world that would like to come to a place that is clean that is thriving that is flourishing you know it's a win-win rather than look at the short-term economic value of con- continuing to pollute our rivers and and then what? What's the long run? Who who's going to swim in it? Who's going to to fish in it? Who's going to admire the wildlife? And in and of itself, it too is valuable. So you even think of the rights of nature. And again, other countries do this very differently. Ireland doesn't. Um, the river itself arguably should have rights independent of the people who use it for various different reasons. Mm, so true. Culturally then, the history of the River Boyne, mm. the, the Battle of the Boyne, uh, it, it, it is, of course, the, what would I say, uh, a focus point when you think of Newgrange and Douth and all that ancient history as well, and then go on up the river to Trim and, you know, Nav and Trim, Intermead, beyond, up towards Virginia there we are talking about. Like, my God, it's... It's world-renowned. Absolutely. You think of all of those stories and photographs and images of the Boyne Valley and and there you go, the Boyne is in it. It features. So I think rather than it just being a part of the story that's ignored, let's make it the centre of the story that we all share but well into the future. And and I think that the, the public need to be involved simply because there's no point in any one or two or ten of us having views on this. We need to get buy-in from the general public and, and and really get a sense of what their feelings are around these issues in order to put a substantial report together that can be used for the Boyne River Trust for lots of hopefully future investment. It's something we take for granted. I often felt that and, and you understand what I'm saying. And then never mind, I saw you guys out doing a clean up on the river and uh, you have another project going on on the nanny at the moment as well, which I'm delighted to hear as well, where I sort of started my fishing career. But uh, it's only when you do what you do, you see as well, the litter and what goes into the river just would so sicken and annoy you, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting if you take a kayak out onto the river and I, I don't do that much, but when I do, you see it from a very different perspective. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that that's key. You see things that are happening in the river, the trolleys, the plastics, the things that were discarded, you know, the, the, the kind of pollutants that are flowing into the river in some cases. It's very visible. And and quite honestly, you know, you, you're speaking about the nanny. I mean, 
last summer took a few trips up it and it, honestly it was disgusting at times it was mm. really like thinking god now i wouldn't fancy going into this river at the moment mm. and and that's that's a real sad indictment for for the population that live around it and um, so hopefully that will change and that's that's our, our job i suppose of working with our colleagues in the Boyne river trust and in, in the in the center in in dundalk it to try to raise awareness educationally of of these things and to to kind of show that it doesn't have to be like this mm. you know that you as i said about japan lots of other places do it very differently with much higher levels of population much more development going on and yet they've rivers that are really pristine we've got to learn you can have your say now the first of the public consultations on uh, Boyne Vision mm. happens in Drogheda on May the 10th where is that happening so that's in our office is in Drogheda on the North Quay so that's on the, on the 10th of May and then we move to Navin in the Solstice on the 23rd of May and then we go on to Trim Kells in Virginia now those la- latter three workshops are not open for registration yet but the, the first two are so the 10th of May and the 23rd of May is currently open to the public how do you register so online you can find us developmentperspectives.ie through any of our social media Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter you know all of the usual social media sites um, or just you know if people are struggling on the social media end of things feel free to look us up on the web and you know feel free to just pick up the phone and we'll try and, and help anyone because one of the things we are trying to do is to not just have the workshops but try to talk to people over the phone if need be if they can't make it have online questionnaires so that we're not having only yes. the, the events that yes. People might wish to go to. So, Drogheda May the tenth, Navin the Salt is May twenty third, six thirty in the evening they start and they run to nine o'clock. Uh, check it out on Development Perspectives. We are all but custodians of this wonderful river, and we want to leave it in the best state possible for future generations to enjoy. Bobby, you're a great guy, and your people do wonderful work. Thank you for joining me on the show today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Cheers, Jerry. Thank Take you. Take care. Bye bye. Picture House and Heavenly Day on your late lunch this Wednesday afternoon. And I guarantee you, you'll enjoy a heavenly day if you head for the 154th Balmoral Show. Yes, it's happening between Wednesday the 10th of May and Saturday the 13th at Balmoral Park, Lisburn. And it promises to be a wonderful few days for all of the family. The show prides itself on offering something for everyone from prize-winning livestock, an unrivaled array of trade stands, the mouth-watering Northern Ireland Food Pavilion, showcasing the very best of local food produce, as well as a wide range of family entertainment and attractions. It's the most spectacular agri-food show on this island and it's happening at Balmoral between Wednesday the 10th and Saturday the 13th of May. Would you like to go along? What an experience it is, I promise you. I have a pair of tickets to give to one of you this afternoon to the show. All you have to do is identify this very difficult animal sound from a farmyard. I think Pep is a little annoyed there, to say the least, to be honest with you. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. What animal is that making those sounds there for tickets to Balmoral? 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text and we'll pick a winner before the end of the show. Louise is over the moon and you know why she's over the moon? Will I tell you why she's over the moon today? Butter. She's over the moon because of butter. I'm easily pleased. Oh, you're very easily pleased, yeah. woman. I know that. I'm a cheap date. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's not. Um, don't let her fool you on that one. Anyway, you're ecstatic about the I butter. I am, because I was really annoyed about the butter. Why? All through the cost of living, pri- cost yeah. of living crisis, crisis since yeah. it started. The butter was one of the first to go up and up and up and up. And it actually, I used to buy a lot of butter. Mm-hmm. So I know the price. Okay, so let's talk about uh, on average, say a year or more ago. What was it? Two sixty nine. Two sixty nine. Yeah, two forty nine. Then it went up to two sixty nine. Right. And then the cost of living crisis hit. Just hit and, badly, and it what, just hit butter at the start. Really. For what some what would it be before this announcement? How much? What, what did it go to? I think it is now roughly around three thirty nine. And you remember it? You no, know, it did try. It did go up further, but obviously nobody bought it, so they brought it down. Brought it down again. Don't okay. So three three thirty nine the minute, and you remember it at two forty nine not so long ago. Well, it was definitely two sixty nine. Okay. I think two forty nine okay. might be a little, a little bit, bit back, before but that. Yeah, but anyway, look, you're talking about for a pound of butter. 
you're talking about own the, brand right you're talking about the guts of it and, and that's own brand own, that's own supermarket brand. Yeah, if yeah. you were to buy Kerrygold or I'm not sure it'd be dearer than that mm. would it yes okay so what's happening why are you so happy because they've cut the price finally by how much well they've cut it now it'll now um, be two ninety nine, so 40 cent which right. is a good bit yeah that's a good drop mm. and that comes in front of milk dropping back in price by as 10 well. cent yeah, some of the milk, per- and there was another, I saw something else as well, something was five cent back or whatever, uh, and I know the farmers are giving out about this. Yeah, I'd still reckon though that they cut the butter because everybody stopped buying it and turned to margarine instead. What were you using instead of butter? Um, the own brand version of spreadable butter. Can't remember the name of it. Utterly butterly. Kind of like that. Like yeah. that type of stuff. Yeah, it was only something, it's less than two euro. And I think, oh wow, this does good for sandwiches. Hmm. And I don't have to... Um, make holes in the bread trying to butter it. <laughs> but would you, if, if you had your life choice, it would be butter number one, would it? Yes. Oh yes, absolutely. Okay. Pure anyway, butter. Anyway, pure butter, there you are. That's what our Louise loves. Wilson Phillips. Hold on. On the movie Bridesmaids. What a fantastic film that was. I'd watch it again. It's one of those movies... I'd watch a few times. Not many I would, but it's one I would. It's very, very funny indeed. We'll dedicate that to Tina Reid from Balbriggan. Happy birthday, Tina, from your husband, David, daughter, Emily, and our partner, Danny. Looking forward to the big party you all are on Friday night. Enjoy and have a great time. Now, Louise is just over the moon that the price of butter has fallen back. She'll be cutting lumps out of her toast now with hard lumps of butter again. Listening to us in Bristol this afternoon online is Alicia Creasel Stulmu and she's waiting for me patiently. Hello, Alicia. Hello there, Jerry. I'm here. <laughs> you are there is right. And the reason you're there is you're making your own butter. I did. Now, I'll tell you, the prices, they're not as bad as at home, but the prices in England doubled for, for the butter. And I'm a mad one for butter. <laughs> Too. <laughs> you love your butter, do you? I do, I do. And, <laughs> and also lump, knock lumps out <laughs> So listen, you decided then to give uh, making your own butter a go. Like churning butter was a tradition from many moons ago in this country and again still buy what we would call country butter uh, in places. So what did you do? How do you make it? Yeah, I used to love the country butter as well. My granny used to get it. I absolutely loved it. And you can't get that here now at all. Mm. But what, what I found, I, I actually found it out by accident. I, I um, had some cream. So you know here, you, you have the single cream and double cream and whipping cream. Yes. Whereas at home, it'll just be cream. But it's the double cream or the whipping cream. And I had it in the mixer. And I, was, I was making the cake. I was doing something else. And I left the cream in and it over whipped. And it overwhips the butter. So it, and it's great. So now what I do is I get a couple of tubs of cream, yeah. leave it in the mixer, and you just whip. And, and you, you watch it, and it goes to sort it, it whips, and you can see the peaks and all the rest. And then it goes to kind of a yellowish color, and you just leave it, leave it, leave it. And then suddenly it'll start knocking on the mixer. It, it separates. So you, you've got the cream, um, butter. And the buttermilk. So you got the bonus of the buttermilk, and <laughs> and you can make your pancakes or your your wheat and bread or whatever with with the buttermilk. Yes. <laughs> so you you got your your, your butter and your uh, buttermilk. So it's great. And what I do as well, and it works out. It's slightly cheaper, uh, and it depends on the price of the cream. But here it it works out slightly cheaper. How much butter do you reckon you get from say two tubs of double cream? Half a pound. Half uh, so a pound. About nine, yeah, about nine ounces. Okay, and what do you do? You, you take that off, you're left with the residue, as you say, your buttermilk to do your baking or whatever. Do you shape it into a little block like butter and wrap it up or what do you do with it? Yeah, I do. Um, what you need to do first is, is put cold water through it and, and you kind of knead it through the cold water because if you have pockets of buttermilk in there, it can go sour. Uh, and it'll go sour quicker. But if you wash through with, with sort of squeeze through cold water, yep, and and it knocks out the buttermilk completely. Yes, and and then I I I just thump it down. I put it between grease poof and and thump it on the the the, the worktop, and it kind of knocks it into a a block. Yeah, and and it's brilliant. And 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 there's your butter. And sometimes I freeze a bit of it, and and it kind of keeps. Others I just leave it in the fridge. Yes, but. 
it's even better if, if you get, I, I, I think I pro- you probably lost me, but I got some uh, reduced price, the yellow stickers on the cream the other day. And I did really well. And I got, I got something like 16 ounces of butter out of four tubs of cream. Right. So what would the four tubs of cream roughly cost, you say? Well, in that, because I got it reduced yeah. two pounds. Two pounds. <laughs> £2.10. My God, so you got your butter and you have your residue out of it as well. And what would it, what would it, what would um, a pound of butter cost over there, roughly, sterling at the minute? It, 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 the own brand, the Aldi stuff, are just over the £2. Okay. £2 oh. for half a pound. Oh, 500 um, Oh, that's for half a pound. Two, two pounds yeah, for yeah, half yeah. a pound. So £4 sterling for a pound of butter. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. You are saving. You are really saving money by going the ground. And it tastes lovely. It does. It tastes really nice. You can put a bit of salt in if you want to. And like yeah. I said, the buttermilk, I made a load of pancakes. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and they taste great because you got the lumps of butter through them as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Ingenious. It just shows you necessity is the mother of invention. There you go. And... You've you. Out something. So, folks, there you are, all the way from Bristol today, formerly from Trim. Alicia telling That's us it. how you can make your own butter quite simply in a mixer. Let it run on till it turns yellow and uh, it separates, and away you go from there. Squeeze it through with the water, shape it up, and you have your butter on your toast. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. <laughs> You're fantastic. Thank you so much for telling us the wee story of the butter making. You're very welcome, Jerry. It's lovely to talk to you. <laughs> and lovely to talk to you too. Take care of you. That's Alicia Chrysold Stulmuth speaking to us from Bristol in the UK where she's listening online originally from Trim. So there you are, no excuse. You can save money, your butter half price. I just think magnificent colours when my next guest comes to mind. Uh, she's simply brilliant. She's an artist and designer based in Dunboyne in County Mead. I'm delighted to say hello to her today. Claire O'Connor, afternoon. Welcome to Late Lunch. Hi, Jerry. Thanks a million for having me on today. I'm delighted to chat to you. Not at all. I, I'll tell you one thing. You are Miss Colour, let me say. You are just fantastic. When I see what you produce in terms of your art and your designs, it's simply magnificent. And you know what it does? It gives me a now lift. Do you ever hear? I'm sure you hear that feedback from people who, who buy from you. I do. I have to say, actually, that is the most rewarding part of it all. Um, because that is kind of what I intend to do when I'm creating my work. I'm kind of trying to, like my work is, is abstract in nature. It's full of mm. colour. It's like a juxtaposition of organised forms and organic forms. I use a lot of pattern and stripes and, and like just th- I throw paint sometimes and I drip it. And, and it's kind of like, it's that eclectic mix of all of that that creates this energy that I'm trying to communicate. And that energy, I, I hope, then kind of uplifts people when they either you know, see my paintings or if they wear one of my wearables or have mm. one of my accessories. Ah, well, uh, yeah, no, it, it, yeah, it, it does it for me only on a visual base, I have to say, and I can only imagine if you experience it and wear it or have it in your home, what it can do for you as well. And I encourage people to check you out online, Claire O'Connor, and you'll see what we're talking about. For, tell us a bit about you. Was is, Has this always been you? Are you an artist? Were you an artist from your good walk? Well, yeah, I was like, it was always my, when I was in primary school, it was always my favourite subject. And um, teachers used to always say it when I was in secondary school, the same. And, um, but then initially I went down the graphic design route, you know, mm. it was more practical, you know, to make yes. kind of like an, a living from it. But I just didn't find it really creative enough for me. So in my late 20s, I um, went back to college again and I studied um, painting, printmaking and photography. And that's kind of brought me to where I am today. So um, I've never looked back. I just absolutely love it. I love, I just, like my, my work, I suppose, when I'm creating the paintings, they're very intuitive in nature and they're very playful. So I don't I don't ever come to the canvas with an idea of what's going to start. I just maybe start with a pattern in a corner or, or a splash of colour or a triangle of, of, of something. And then I kind of go from there. So mm. I just love the excitement that I get when I'm creating the work. And then I love then kind of translating that into other things. And you say about art and that it was your love and your passion and you went back to it and you went back to study as well. Then you went to Germany uh, as an artist assistant. What did that involve? Did that help you along the road to where you are today? It did, yeah. I had an amazing experience. Like when I left, when I finished my degree, I was like, okay, well, as an artist, the best places to be was either to go to London, Berlin or New York. So I just sent the CV out to the universe. 
I sent out around, I think, maybe 200, 300 CVs and got an opportunity to either do an internship in New York or an internship in Berlin. And the, the one in Berlin was just much more interesting because it was an artist that owned a gallery. So he was regularly doing exhibitions, which I thought would be really interesting. I'd learned that side of things. And then he also was a large scale printmaker. So he had a fascinating project where he took over the empty Stasi headquarters, the GDR building in the middle of Berlin. Mm. And he had permission to be there for a whole year. And I went then to help him to do large scale printing off the floor. So he had he had taken over. There was a, a lino, a 900 square meter lino um, canteen area. Like, you know, the lino floor was 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 the surface, and it was like like you know when you're in school, you learn lino printing, where you're carving into that lino uh, material. That's what he did. He he did large scale um, carvings, and then I helped him to print off it. So it was just it was just such an amazing experience to be involved in such a large project, but also to be in such. Uh, a space foiled with such, you know, history mm. and, mm. you know, so, um, but then just, I think for me as an artist, it was amazing to see, you know, artists working on a professional level and, and the type of projects that they can be involved in and the possibilities for myself as an artist in the future, as you know, as, as I was developing my practice. Yeah, fantastic. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Fantastic. So huge uh, imprint it made on you and your life and career. And then, of course, Venice. You loved Venice. You created lots while you were there. And the whole aspect of wearable art came to the fore for you. It did. Well, I was living there, you know, I was doing loads of different things and I was I got a great chance to, you know, develop my paintings. And while I was there, I had an exhibition in, in a, a local space and everybody came in. They were like, God, your work is just so colourful. It's really uplifting. And, and I suppose because we were in a hot climate, everybody was like, God, they'd be amazing as dresses and, you know, different things like that. So that was where I got the I got the initial idea. And I started to explore the idea of creating scarves to start with. So I went up to Como and I started to research different companies and I started to get different samples and that's really where I got the idea to create the brand of wearable art. Mm. I kind of, I suppose, because I had the skills, you know, in the past of being a graphic designer and then I had all these different skills, you know, from all the different jobs I'd done along the way, I was like, okay, I've got all these skills and I'd love to be able to use those all for myself to create a more sustainable, you know, living for myself long term that would be using my, you know, solely my creative practice. So that's, then that would enable me then as an artist to continue to be an artist, to continue to grow and develop my work, but to have something sustainably, you know, sus- you know, giving me a living as, yes. as I would be doing that. So, so that's where it all really stemmed from. And mm. then I got to a certain point when I was over in, in Venice and um, it kind of coincided also with a time in my life where I kind of really wanted to come home and certain contracts had finished and, you know, I was like, okay, this is the perfect opportunity. I, I got to a certain stage with my development of the initial idea and I came home and then launched in January 2018 in Showcase. Yeah, and uh, the rest is history. The uh, yeah. the fabrics are beautiful from Como where you, you get them made. So basically for listeners, what you do, you create art and then you transfer that onto wearable uh, you know, items, and that's where that whole vibrancy comes from, etc. You mentioned your scarves, etc. You do more than scarves, don't you? I do. I initially started off with scarves because yeah. they were just such a kind of a simple kind of product. To start yes. with. So I only started with silk and I did a, a modal silk kind of blend to begin with. And then I've, I've really kind of developed that along the way. I um, During COVID, I experimented and I did some um, bamboo cushions and I did some tote bags and that kind of you know, that led me to um, the interesting fabric of bamboo. I thought it was a great fabric to work with. I loved that it was sustainable. I loved the, loved the way it felt. And um, so since then, I've actually developed a range of um, scarves with, with that fabric. And then I've, I wanted to also diversify, you know, my, my product range so that I would be able to access more markets, you know, access more customers. Like some of the scarves are at a certain price point. So then um, just, 
you know, um, before Christmas there, I launched a, a range of eco-friendly umbrellas so that that would, you know, be a more accessible gift, you know, a practical gift that people could give to each other. Yeah, they're beautiful. I'm actually looking at them here as you speak to me as well. And as I say again, they are so impressive. They are so beautiful. You certainly have something unique. And, you know, you mentioned there all your life experience, bringing it all together, pulling it together to create and a business that, you know, gives you a living. You you do yeah. you do everything like I just look at it. You do your own shoots. You manage your social media. My God, you are the epitome of the one woman band, aren't you? I am, <laughs> um, but I, I have to say I really enjoy it. I love it. Yeah. I love. I, I I um like as you said at the beginning of, of 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 our chat here. Like I love when I get those emails, and I do get emails. I, I it's amazing. People spend the time to actually contact me and say, God, like when they opened up the package, how they felt and when they've put on my scarf for the first time or when they've worn one of my dresses or um, the umbrellas recently, I've had a lot of great feedback from those as well. You know, people appreciate the quality of them and they appreciate, mm. you know, the designs behind them and they appreciate the story as well, which is really great. And, you know, it's lovely to be able to make that connection with people too. Yeah, people will notice. It, it does stand out. It's different. It is so different and it, it certainly catches the eye, which is fantastic. So how do you, you know, I suppose you're online, of course, ClaireO'Connor.net, folks. Check her out. That's ClaireO'Connor.net. You know, what's your route to your customers? How do you see that developing? Well, at the moment, um, I'm available in stockists throughout the country and I also have a retailer in the U.S. Um, and um, and then also I'm um, available online. And um, the last two years now is available in Creation Brand Thomas, which is uh, a yearly showcase of the best of Irish design. And um, yeah, so I suppose going forward, I'm just every kind of every month, every two months, I'm I'm trying to you know access more retailers, you know, um, expand my reach to customers. And then you know, as I'm developing the brand as well, I'm um, I'm also hoping to kind of reach further audiences with both my art and and mm. my brand mm. um, coming up now this year I've got two solo shows so I have a solo show down in Clonakilty in September in the Asna Gallery and then I also have a solo show in um, the Easter Snow Gallery in the Knoll in um, November and December very good. And those shows, are are they, you know, when you have a show and you show, well, this is the aim of it always, of course, but do you see the the, uh, the bump in sales and interest? Yes. I um, I found especially um, when I was on, I was on Nationwide, actually, just around, right. around the period of um, of showcase, actually, um, yes. in January. And, um, and that was amazing exposure. Um, I, I was looking at, you know, the analytics on the computer as... As I went live, and over that, you know, that that evening, I had four thousand seven hundred hits to the Brilliant. website. So it was it was amazing, Brilliant. and it was really exciting to see those, you know, the figures kind of, you know, moving yes. up, and then getting the bing of the phone every time somebody is subscribing to the website or showing interest in my work, which was great. Yeah, I know. I can tell you because we get the same feeling here when we see <laughs> a reaction from <laughs> listeners. You know what I mean? It's yeah, it, I, I know what you're talking about. It. Yeah, of course. And of yeah. course, for you, uh, you know, it's important as well. More people are uh, seeing what you do and the potential customer uh, base is there for you. Um where does your inspiration, just before we finish, you know, I, I ask many artists when I talk and get different answers. Where do you draw from your inspiration? Where does that come from? Um, I suppose for me, um, I would be really kind of, I would be very interested in energy. I'm really interested in colour. I would be like, I, I, I would be very interested in wellness and meditation. And I suppose, um, I suppose it's, it's about that tangible energy that, you know, that's, communicating that sense of positive energy that's that's mm. really what drives me when I was in college the artists that I was always drawn to were big abstract painters that you know when you, you looked at their paintings you just felt something you felt uplifted you you know mm. so it's it's really yeah it's kind of coming from just simply just creating something that makes gives a response to somebody somebody feels something when they see your work and in my case something positive something that kind of uplifts them and and you know makes them feel good 
Oh, I get it now for sure. The vibrancy in your colours and your work is amazing. I wish you well. Delighted to catch up with you. You're one of the locals here in our area in LMFM's catchment and uh, great to talk to you. I'm glad, I'm really glad for your things are going so well and I hope they go from strength to strength in the future. Claire O'Connor. Dot net. Take a look. You'll love it, I promise. Thanks for joining me on the show, Claire. Thanks so Thank you very much, Jerry. Thanks for Not at that. all. Take care of yourself. Okay, Bye-bye. Thank you. Wonderful Claire O'Connor there talking to us on late lunch. Emma McCann is a volunteer with Last Hope Charity and she's fostered 54 cats for the rescue in the last 10 years. She lives in Archdeaconry View in Kells and she joins me on late lunch. Hi, Emma. Hiya, how are you? I'm good. How many cats of your own have you normally? Uh, well, until yesterday, I had five. Okay, and how many have you now? I unfortunately only have three now. What happened? Um, uh, well, unfortunately, I think two of them, which would be my older two, I think they have been poisoned, um, along with a few other cats in the area. Actually, I think three of my cats had been poisoned, but I was lucky enough to catch one kind of on time. She was showing a few little symptoms and I brought her to the vet um, and she was fine. And then within five days, I think, not even, the other two got sick. Um, And untimely, unfortunately, passed on on Monday and Tuesday, so... I'm sorry to hear that. So Bella survived. Uh, she yeah. was the first to, you, you got to on time with antibiotics and that. But sadly, uh, Muffin, you've had five years and Garfield, ten, are, are both yeah. gone. What have the vets said? Um, well, I mean, they sedated both of them um, and kind of they were waiting to see if they'd come out because they were having seizures. Mm. But um, when I went in yesterday, I kind of had a good chat with him and he said, because I thought maybe it was pesticides or, you know, um, what you call it, weed killer or something. Yes. But he said, no, it's weed killer and stuff like that. Although it is toxic to cats and, and animals, it's, it's not a neurotoxin. So whatever they ingested or have been in contact with is a neurotoxin, which means it went straight to their brain, kind of. So even if they had come out the other side of their seizures, it would have affected them anyway. Like, yeah. I mean, my Garfield, when I went to see him, he was, he'd had a seizure, but even though he was not sedated anymore, he was, he couldn't, he was confused. He didn't know who I was. He couldn't, still couldn't move. Mm. So it affected the nerves, obviously, in his brain and his, his body, like, so unfortunately we had to make a decision yesterday morning, but he was with me. I was with him anyway, so it wasn't, the end of the world, but it was still heartbreaking. <laughs> oh my God, to have them five and ten years and lose both of them. So are you saying that the vets are saying that it was a poisoning and, and not accidental? Is that what's been said? No, he said it was poisoned. They were poisoned. Now, we'd like to think that they, it was an accident. Yes. But, I mean, there's five cats here in Archdeaconry that have been affected. Obviously, my tree... There's another one, um, Shiva. She she actually passed away on Friday, mm. but we hadn't made a connection just yet between them all. And then there's another one a few doors down as well um, that he was quite sick, but he seems to have been lucky. Maybe he didn't ingest as much, but he was sick as well. He um, he was vomiting and kind of sleeping all day. Like, but I think he was quite lucky then that he was. He wasn't too bad, but unfortunately, you know, three out of five mm. here. Mm. So it's, I don't know if it's a coincidence. Yeah, so, so th- there's been five cases and how many cats have yeah. passed away? You lost two, one other. Yeah, and there's one. So there's three have passed away yes. altogether. And two and others have two. been saved, yes. Uh, they were with, really lucky. With yeah, treatment. Yeah. Okay. And, and what we want to say is it, it's something they ingested, so it is a poison, but it could mm-hmm. have been something that was left somewhere and attracted them and they ate it rather than... I, I wouldn't like to think that somebody actually... I hope to God it's not intentional. ...to poison them. Just... And if they did, uh, God forgive me, it's an awful thing to witness. Um, yeah. I'd like to think that there's nobody here that would do that, but I mean, 
There's some, I suppose, it's, it's a very big coincidence that there's, mm. you know, five here. And I think there's a few other cats that have been, that are normally around that we haven't seen for a few days, kind of. And we're kind of trying to think maybe. Mm. But again, I'm not going to. Yes, you know, you're not, uh, yeah, I know, correct. yeah, I know. You're only surmising at the moment, but it's pointing yeah. to a problem anyway. Will yeah. an autopsy be able to actually identify what the poison is? We hope so. Yes, um, that's Garfield what you're and Muffin, I brought, for. I brought them up to UCD myself okay. yesterday, right? Um, to the veterinary, the veterinary college up yes. there. So yes. hopefully they'll come back to me, or myself, or Last Hope Animal Charity, um, with some sort of results and some sort of definite uh, answer as to what actually happened mm. to the two of them. Um, so we're just waiting for that to come back. Yes. And see. Now, they're obviously, they won't be able to tell us if it's intentional or if it was I know. an accident, but at least we might know what it was that caused yes. all this damage. Uh, uh, well, I think it'll narrow down the the suspicions let's say yeah. right I'd say yeah. that's what it will certainly do when you identify what the poison is then yeah. you know people will have a good idea if it could have been accidental or if it yeah. was yeah. specifically aimed at, at the, um, the, the the cat the neighbourhood cat yeah, yeah, they, or something like that anyway yeah. um, ah, look it's, it's, it's not nice to hear this story and again it's Archdeacon Review in Kells yeah. and Ganymede so if you're listening yeah. to us today and maybe this rings a bell with somebody else you know that has had an ill cat yeah. or lost a cat that hasn't made contact with you in the Absolutely, vicinity yeah. I've uh, had a few people contact me yeah. a few different areas in Kells as well over the last few days obviously since since I've been posting it kind of okay, yes. so the last hope of contact is they're like oh yeah that was similar to my cat or this cat or whatever so mm. I just want everyone to keep their cats in yes. and you know just snuggle them while they can because losing a pet especially two of them mm. in these circumstances is absolutely horrific mm. <laughs> unfortunately like it's something I wouldn't even wish on my 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 worst enemy, to be honest. Yes, yes, I hear what you're saying, and we understand mm-hmm. the hurt that you're feeling as well. But look at uh, keep us posted. We'll keep in touch, yes. and when you get the results or whatever, perhaps we can chat again and shed a yes. little more light onto this. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. For sure. Thank you for joining me Thank today, you so Emma. Much for having me. Thank Not you. at all. You're very Bye. welcome. That's Emma McCann's uh, Emma McCann speaking to me from Kells this afternoon about the poisoning of cats. Send for Fireman Sam when you're in trouble. Leeds have reached out to the man who saved so many clubs from relegation. Four games to go and they're shocking tough matches. Can he do it? It's a big ask for Sam, but no better man to get in there and put 11 across the back and just keep everybody else out. Let's see what happens. Big Leinster final coming up, of course, Sunday week. Louth in their second Leinster final that I ever remember in my lifetime against Dublin. I'm sure there's families out there, especially in the south end of the county. Well, anywhere in the county for that matter, uh, that have a split. A split team in the house, is there? Are the people out there, half the house are for the dubs and the other half are for Louth? If you're a divided household ahead of the Leinster final, let us know. We'd love to know. Are there households out there where there'll be blue and navy flags out with red and white ones as well? 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. If you are a divided family ahead of the Leinster final between Dublin and Louth, let us know. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. The jackpot, 11,400 in LMFM Radio Bingo. Patricia Harding picked up 800 euro. Bernie O'Sullivan and uh, Gabrielle McCormick, 200 each. You can get your books from outlets across the northeast. And remember, remember, when you play LMFM Radio Bingo, you're supporting the Gary Kelly Cancer Support Centre. Massive jackpot there. It will be won. I promise you. Hillary was in touch to say, I was in Antrim recently, Jerry, and you couldn't believe it. Six pounds sterling for a pound of butter I saw in Antrim. Wow. Yes, churn your own, as we heard earlier on from Alicia. Now, let's have another listen to this. I think that's Daddy Pig, is it? It could be Mammy as well. You'd never know. Anyway, that is the sound of a pig, the farmyard animal we're looking for today. 
Thank you so much indeed to everybody. Sure, it was a handy one. It was a giveaway. The Balmoral Show coming up from the 10th to the 13th of May. Ireland's biggest show. you got to get there. I have tickets to give away each afternoon. And today they're going to Richard Lynch. Well done to you, Richard. Those tickets are yours. We'll be in touch to make the arrangements. But I'll have more tickets for Balmoral on the show tomorrow afternoon. Now, where was I? Let me think. Oh, yeah. Time for this. Five, four, three, two, one. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's... The number three from this very week in 1995. And it's an Irish number three in the UK charts from Boyzone. It's taken from their debut album, Said and Done, that was released in 1995. The first two songs on the album were covers they had hits with, but this is the first original song co-written by members of the group. It became their second number one here in Ireland, but our focus is always on the UK singles chart, and there it reached number three this very week in 1995, and no higher it went, but it did very well. It sold over 200,000 copies in the UK. Here it is, your number three from 1995, the first week in May. It's Boys Own and the key to my life. Boys Own, our number three from this week in 1995. In our top five countdown on your late lunch. Two tomorrow and the number one coming your way on Friday, going back the years to 95. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Jerry, uh, could you say how sorry I am to hear about that lady's cats? We have two cats. We love them dearly. Uh, just to, a week ago, a ginger cat appeared at our front door. We can't keep it because we have two and we have dogs as well. Love to get a home. Anyone want a ginger cat, give us a shout here at the station and we'll put you in touch uh, with Mary there. Thanks indeed for that kind message. Final break of the Wednesday and we're back afterwards to hear the story of a, a Facebook page. And it's doing really good, but it looks like the good is going to stop. Kate McShane is a wonderful child. She has Down syndrome. She's 11 years of age and she attends St. Patrick's and St. Bridget's Primary School in Drogheda. She's in fourth class there and she has a significant social media presence in Trixie Streets, which she loves to update regularly with the assistance of her mum, Fiona. And Fiona McShane joins me on the line. Hi, Fiona. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm grand, but I'm really sad for you because... This uh, Trixie Streets Facebook page is extremely popular. She loves updating it. She has a great following, hasn't she? She sure does, yeah. Yeah, and it looks like it may not be able to continue. Tell our listeners what's happened. Um, Well, at the weekend, within the space of 24 hours, there just seemed to have been an influx of followers who were a male from um, foreign countries and it was as if um, Facebook had opened up a floodgate. Like, that hasn't been there. I, I laugh because, like, I've been trying to do everything to try and save it. And I look back to see when I opened the page, which was back in September 2017. So I couldn't believe I have it that long. Mm. Um, but we never, ever had one issue with it up until the weekend and as I said within 24 hours it was just um, I was getting all these private messages now there was nothing sinister but I felt very uncomfortable so as I was blocking like 20, 30, 40 they just kept coming they just kept coming so I ended up having to log out because I just didn't know I kind of panicked I suppose now I did report so much of it took screenshots and sent it to Facebook and I have heard absolutely nothing from them. Mm. So, um, and it's amazing because, you know, the way I, like both of us have so enjoyed doing the page and the crack and like the the happiness that people have. It's all been positive, you know, that kind of way. And 
I genuinely had to take a step back from it and it made me think about it and I didn't realise how much it meant to us um, until, you know the way they're saying, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Mm. And it's been quite emotional because I did look back through the page and I just saw, like, it has really touched people and it has brought awareness and I would be a very, um, very much an advocate for Kate and I hope that... um, that it was a platform that I was kind of setting up for her then to take over the baton. And always I thought, like, if Kate, you know, please God, when she's in transition year, if she ever had to get work experience, she would literally just have to walk down Lawrence's Street and all the shops. She, like, they're all big fans of her down there, especially, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's just, like, as you said, Kate McShane, she just, she brings so much light to so many lives yes. and do you know what I'm not going to let anybody dim that light no and don't don't that's why I wanted to talk to you today because I saw your despair and really it just got you down and I know how much it means though she must miss it terribly yeah well you know what that's Kate takes everything in her stride now I have to say she really does um so uh, it, it kind of like when I say to her, you know, like even a few weeks ago, she was on LMFM herself. Yeah. And, you know, she just, mm. she was in a dance competition and I just say to her, Kate, we're going to do this. And, oh yeah, she just goes along with everything and embraces everything. And the wonderful way about Kate is the way she can change perceptions all by herself is just, it's such a joy to watch. It really is. And, like, I'm not saying the road is not easy. It's far from easy, but... Mm. Um, she's my little shadow and um, yeah it just like it means so much and I remember being down in Scotch Hall there a few years ago and this girl came up to me and she was after having a baby with Down syndrome and she said to me oh my god you wouldn't believe the amount of people when her baby was born do you know Fiona and Kate do you know Fiona and Kate that it it gives people because when you get it when your child is born with Down syndrome, all I can say is the world goes a little bit grey. And if you had somebody to, you know, look at and say, well, look at this one, you know, that kind of way, mm. you know, it's very important. Oh, we hear what you're saying. And that's why this is so disappointing. I do hope that Facebook or Meta or whatever, you know, uh, deal with this and, and attend to it and help you and stop this. So it, you know, there's nothing untoward or sinister. It's just the annoyance of why would men have any interest in just going on there and causing nuisance for you? I'd say it's somebody having a crack or a laugh, you know what I mean, and, and doing this. But it's not. It's no crack or no laugh to you. And it is true what you say. The happiness, the joy, the positivity, the inspiration. I can keep using all those words all come to mind when we think of Trixie's treats. So, but you're off at the moment. You haven't gone back in there because you've been blocking, blocking, blocking and they just keep coming. So you've decided to stay out. Yes. Um, right. And even today, I just did post that I was going to be on with your good self. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, I um, saw it. Yeah, yeah. And like, even then, I'm kind of saying, oh, like, is this going to trigger, mm. you know, something else? So I do think, and do you know what? Ironically, for the last few months, um, I wanted to change the name of the page because um, I just, I don't know, that name just came, you know, as I said, years ago. And it doesn't kind of represent Kate and I. So I think maybe it's the universe trying to tell me to move on. (laughs) Um, I genuinely think that because Facebook haven't been in touch, like they haven't replied to one thing, I think I will just, we will move over to Instagram because yes, you're going to get, it. look, it's the light and the shade of things in life. Yeah. But um, I don't think we should give up. Mm. And ironically as well, Kate's favourite song at the moment is um, Fight Song, you know? Yes. And there's a line in it, I might only have one match, but I can make an explosion. And by Jesus, is that Kate McShane? <laughs> You know, because as I say to an awful lot of people, remember the name Kate McShane because she's going to have a story to tell. So I want, no, I just, they're not, no, like as I said, it was, I did think, Jesus, this is it. Yeah. But then the amount of messages 
that I've gotten. And even there was a lad running the, the boy in 10K on Sunday and we were cheering him on and he let this roar at me, don't you give up. And yes. it just really touched me, you know. Well, let me finish on that note today. I want to add to that runner's call and I'm sure all our, I'm sure all the listeners do. Do what exactly that guy said and keep going. And whatever way you rejig it or whatever, we let people know. But I hope you hear back from uh, the Facebook people sooner rather oh, Jerry, than later. you're very good. Not at all. You're and fantastic. Your buddy, um, your buddy Sharon Lovey said to say hello. <laughs> and will you say hello to her too from me? She's fantastic. Anyway, talk to you soon and send her good wishes to Kate, won't you please? Will do, Jerry. Thanks, Fiona. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's the wonderful Fiona McShane there. What a brilliant mum and daughter they are. What a great team. Anyway, that's a, a, the lot from this team today. Eddie Caffrey's on his way with The Drive. Stay with us here on LMFM Radio. Enjoy your midweek Wednesday. And uh, up West Ham is all I'll say tonight. Come on, the Hammers. Oh, it's more in hope and desperation than anything else being a Gunners fan. Anyway, we'll see you tomorrow for Late Lunch Half One. Bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan.